Hello and welcome back to episode 22 with Waking Up With Mel. This episode we will be talking about the moon landing. Is it fake? Is it real? Did Stanley Kubrick film it? Or is that just a conspiracy? I want to start with talking about how every single thing that's ever done on this planet that's evil, because there's two sides, there's good and evil, and if you haven't noticed, we're fighting a war of that right now, then uh, I wonder what rock you're under. Anyways, um, they always tell us, and when I say they, I mean the powers that be. Let's let's just talk about, you know, the pandemic we just got out of, this COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of people, I don't think, understand how much programming, pre-programming went into this. One, they did Event 201 before they even did it. And it was just to see what would happen when they do. Bill Gates, in 2010, on a TED Talk I'm about to play you, told us that, you know, we need to wipe out half of this population because just you guys breathing on this planet is going to cause global warming. (laughs) And I don't know if you've noticed, but... The planet never warmed up, so they've had to change that term. They don't call it global warming anymore. Have you noticed that? It's not called global warming anymore because the planet has not warmed up. It's called now climate change. So they just change the terms and they use it to control people while they fly around on their big jets. And it's ridiculous and people need to wake up. And I hope they do fast because that's what I'm here for. Waking up with Mel. So... Why would Bill Gates tell us in 2010 that we need to take out half the population with vaccines? And then why would he therefore proceed in, you know, 2019 to do a event 201 pandemic and give away not only did Bill and Melinda's foundation have this event with John Hopkins, they gave away corona stuffies. I just noticed my mic wasn't plugged in, but I'm not going to go re-record that. So yeah, corona stuffies. You want a little stuffed toy of a coronavirus? Nobody really even knew what that was back then, even though it had been around forever. This is the 19th strain of it. Even Lysol in the bottle before they told everybody this this virus was going to kill everybody, that it said it would kill it on Lysol for years. People just are so uneducated, including myself. I've been waking up too. But each one of us are in a different stage of waking up. And that's that's what this podcast is for. And I, I hope I never condemn people because that's the worst way to wake up. Like nobody's going to, you're going to go to hell so you better believe in Jesus. That's not the way to get someone to believe in Jesus. It's to tell somebody how much Jesus loves you and doesn't want you to go to hell because he loves you so much and you're created in the image of God. So I'm not here to condemn, right? I'm just here to be like, hey, why would these elite quote unquote people tell you what they're going to do, do it. And then people still don't see it. It just blows my mind at this point. But Bill Gates, he's a big, big vaccine guy. He, his parents are part of Planned Parenthood. And if you don't know this yet, and I hope you do, Planned Parenthood puts their clinics in minority neighborhoods. Do you know how many black babies they've killed? Do you know how different the world would be if those beautiful babies were born? These evil people are after the minority. They really are. And it's sad. And then they go on TV and try to get us fighting with each other about our skin color when we all bleed the same, people. We need to learn to unite through this awakening. We really, really do. So I'm going way off track like I typically do when I start talking. But I'm going to start this podcast, even though I'm here to talk about is the moon landing real 
not real? Did Stanley Kubrick film it? All the things. I have to start with this Bill Gates TED Talk from 2010 telling you that because you're breathing and we need to get the carbon to zero so the planet doesn't warm up, that we got to start with people and lower the population. And he says it really cleverly and quickly. So listen, folks, listen, because guess what people do? <laughs> it's so funny that he wants to kill us. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to play you two people that admit they want to kill us, okay? What temperature will be and where the positive feedbacks are, there's some uncertainty there, but not very much. And there's certainly uncertainty about how bad those effects will be, but they will be extremely bad. I asked the top scientists on this several times, do we really have to get down to near zero? Can't we just you know, cut it in half or a quarter? And the answer is that until we get near to zero, the temperature will continue to rise. And so that's, that's a big challenge. It's very different than saying, you know, we're a 12 foot high truck trying to get under a 10 foot bridge and we can just sort of squeeze under. This is something that has to get to zero. Now we put out a lot of carbon dioxide every year, uh, over 26 billion tons. Uh, for each American, it's about 20 tons. Uh, for people in poor countries, it's less. Okay, did you understand that? He's saying you breathe 20 tons of CO2, and he's about to say people in poor countries, they don't take as much as us Americans. I guess they breathe less or something. Maybe there's, I don't know. One ton. It's an average about five tons for everyone on the planet. And somehow we have to make changes that will bring that down to zero. Um, the only way you can bring that down to zero is to kill people, Bill been constantly going up. It's only various economic changes that have even flattened it at all. So we have to go from rapidly rising to falling and falling all the way to zero. This equation has four factors, a little bit of multiplication. So you've got a thing on the left, CO2, that you want to get to zero. And that's going to be based on the number of people, the services each person's using on average, the energy on average for each service, and the CO2 being put out uh, per unit of energy. So let's look at each one of these and see how we can get this down to zero. Uh, probably one of these numbers is going to have to get pretty near to zero. Do you guys understand what he's just saying right now? Okay, there's a lot of, we need to lower CO2 and we, we're going to start here and we're going to talk about people and then we'll go to the services they use and so on. Why would we need to lower the number of people to, okay, well, like blows me away that people even like this guy still. Uh, that's back from high school algebra, but let's, let's take a look. Uh, first, we've got population. Uh, the world today has 6.8 billion people. That's headed up to about 9 billion. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, health care, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I'm going to stop right there. Why the heck would you want to lower our population by 10 to 15 percent with vaccines? Okay, guys, I'm not going to even play any more of this guy, but seriously, do you see? Do you see? People will still say. And okay, one of the reasons I played Bill Gates and this little thing is one, because we just are in this COVID pandemic because of this dude too. He's told people we need to lower the population that, I mean, he's had Ted talks about the next pandemic. I mean, this guy is 
as evil as they come. And I don't even know if he's still alive or not, but he's still pretending to be alive if he is. So we got this Bill Gates, right? Telling you what he's going to do. So when you come, when I'm going to start talking about this Stanley Kubrick stuff, I'm going to be playing you some interviews. One of them is a documentary. Again, I'll put the links like I always do. And they're hard to clip because for some reason, Podbean clumps everything together, even if I space it. So you're going to have to actually go in and cut and paste um, the clips because you can't just tap on them, which is is very unfortunate. And hopefully that changes someday. Um, But anyways... So I'm going to play some clips of this interview called Dark Side of the Moon, and it's like Donald Rumsfeld, all the people basically admitting this is true. I've read FBI documents. not I haven't read any that say, yes, we filmed this, but I've, like, with Stanley Kubrick, how they lent him, how NASA lent him a um, lens, like all these things that he says in his interview before he dies correlate with the truth of what his real-life story biography says. So... All these um, documentaries that I'm going to play clips from, people like to say they're mockumentaries or whatever. They're mocking. They're fake. They're not real. And that's going to be up to you to decide. But before I even start playing any of these interviews and talking about Stanley Kubrick, if you're like me and you're like, "I I know nothing about Stanley Kubrick because I'm not a huge Hollywood person. I never really have been. I've been learning more about him through this great awakening than ever. But he was a film director. He had a high IQ, higher than average. He filmed The Shining, which talks a lot about the fake moon landing, like in just codes, like with the little boy's shirt, room numbers, look it up yourself. There's so many things that's just Shining and the moon landing correlate. Um, And what happened was when he was able, when he did agree to do this landing, this fake landing, he um, was given free reign. He had full cuts of his of his films so he had no one else to say oh that's you're saying too much in this cut that out um until his last movie eyes wide shut and that's where he was exposing these rituals these abuse all this crazy stuff that goes on in hollywood and he was using people that were really in it nicole kidman and tom hanks in my opinion Uh, From the proof I've seen and the stories I've heard from people like Fiona Barnett, who testified to uh, Australian, I would say Congress, but I don't know what they are there. Um, You know, these people have been have been accused in courts. So they're not it's not like I'm just saying this stuff. It's it's true. Um, And you can look it up as much or as little as you want to, because I'm not here to try to prove myself. I'm just trying to tell you guys all these little rabbit holes, whichever one you want to go down, there's plenty. So anyways, the last film he films is Eyes Wide Shut with Nicole Kidman, whose dad was a horrid man and did horrid things to children. And she grew up in this. And then Tom Cruise, who I don't really know a lot about, but he just seems like a scumbag. And they are in this movie and he doesn't get final cut. This interview that he does is three of 99. A lot of people say it's fake because the number three could be correlated with five. It like looks a little weird. So they're trying to say, oh, he was already dead when this was. I just, this guy, I've researched the interviewer guy. I just, I believe, I believe. Okay. You don't have to. But on top of that, why would they fake the moon landing? Like, really, why? And I'm going to tell you why. To keep people away from God. Because if God 
if we are what NASA says and we are floating in this planet and we're just part of this vast, you know, galaxy and we really don't matter much, it is completely opposite of what the Bible says. And if we are circling around the sun, again, completely, what the, we are taught that the sun and is still and we circle around it going 6,660 some miles an hour that for one physically isn't possible. People have forgot their common sense that you can spin water on a ball and it flies off. What makes you guys think we have all this water on our planet and we're spinning that fast and it's not sticking to the sides or flying off. Like I just don't get how, how people can believe this lie. But then again, I used to believe it. So there you go. But I truly, truly believe NASA is you know, the deceiver, the it's created literally to deceive people, to keep them away from God. They teach it in your schools. You are raised with a globe in your hand, folks. That is what your programming, number one, first programming. How are we made? What's the world like? Well, let's read the Bible. The Bible says we're on a firm foundation. And the Bible says that the sun circles around the earth because we are so important. And, and there's this thing that's talked about by God all the time called the firmament, which Wow, if you really start to think about it, it's almost like a snow globe. Well, what does God describe it? A face, the face of the earth. He always talks about the mouth opening up and swallowing people, about this place where people go uh, called, I can't ever say that word, S-H-E-O-L, shallow, shallow, hell. Uh, yeah, you know, God talks a lot about the earth, a lot. And he never once says we're spinning around. Never. Not once. He never says, oh, you're spinning around someday. I'm going to stop it. No. You know what he says constantly? We're on a firm foundation. Now, me and my husband, we've had this conversation many times. What is the firm foundation? Is it God's palm? Is it his hand? Who knows? I don't know. But what I do know is we're not spinning around like NASA has lied to me. And I don't think we can go land on a light because I believe light is different than a planet. And God describes earth and the moon and the sun differently. He describes the earth as a, a solid substance. And he describes the sun and the moon as light. And I'm not going to have you take my word for it. I'm going to read you what God describes it in Genesis. This is Genesis 16. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made also stars and God set them in the firmament of heavens to give light on earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from, from and the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So God didn't create the sun and moon until the fourth day. Okay, so if you really think about it, can you land on a light? Hmm. And just to further my point, I'm going to go back up a little bit to when God actually made earth. And God didn't call earth light. Okay, he called it land. So that's a very different thing. A very different thing. And so I'm going to read it. In Genesis 1 verse 10. And God called the dry land earth. And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. So God has a name for, for everything he created. And the sun and the moon, they're lights. And the government 
I think is very well aware of this because they know a lot of things that they don't want to share with us. I think the main reason this was ever done was for control. And I don't think anybody that ever did this realized how deep it would go. Because like I'm going to play you some clips of the astronauts, you know, most of them had a really hard time after faking this. Uh, There's so many clips of Buzz Aldrin saying that they didn't even go. And then... Uh, I think one of them, I can't remember which astronaut, punched another guy out, a reporter, because he was like, you didn't go to the moon, swear on the Bible you did. And he punched him out. Because it's how embarrassing that you do this. You think, oh, it's just going to blow over. But you, in fact, change the world with your lie. And then Hollywood knows it's a lie. And so they mock us. They mock us in movies. They mock us in songs. I've sang it before, but like Red Hot Chili Peppers was a funny one to me because I used to sing that one all the time. And it's Californication. It's lies. It's space will space was made on the final frontier, but it was made in a Hollywood basement or something like that. Like it was made in a basement. It was well, who knows where it was made, but it was made in Hollywood. It's a joke. Um, actually, this this documentary who they say mockumentary tells us where it was made and in fact there's pictures from nasa's website with stanley kubrick in it it's just so crazy all this stuff like it's you i to me i can prove it but uh you know after i do this episode we're wrapped up it's up to you to decide for yourself you know okay so here we go let's start listening to some of these um mockumentaries which i think are real documentaries God created the heavens and the earth. On the seventh day, Stanley Kubrick sent everything back for modifications. So wrote a critic. One year after the death of the famous director, who now rests in peace in the garden of his home just outside London, his wife Christian and Jan Harlan, his production manager and Christian's brother, spoke to us about the filming of Barry Lyndon. Stanley was very much trying to photograph Barry Lyndon so that the atmosphere of the 18th century should be retained on the screen. He loved those paintings from the period, uh, and um, he didn't know exactly how to do it. There is no camera built for this. So he was looking desperately for faster lenses to shoot a scene at candlelight. He contacted as many people as possible whenever he needed to know something. And then he hit it because of an article in a, in, uh, in a science magazine on this Zeiss lens. It turned out that NASA was the original customer of Zeiss. And Stanley then said, well, let me speak to them and see whether we could test it. Let, let me worry about that. And um, it finally worked. For 25 years, critics have been asking one question about the stunning visuals of Barry Lyndon. Why did NASA's top officials and Werner von Braun, the father of space conquest, agree to lend Stanley Kubrick this famous camera and its legendary lens, the only one of its kind in the world? This unique lens had been a jealously guarded secret since its conception. Worth millions of dollars, it was the only lens capable of filming spy satellites in pitch darkness. On January the 1st, 2001, Christian Kubrick began looking through the late director's archives, There, buried under a mountain of documents, she discovered a file bearing the White House logo and stamped Top Secret. In it was the answer to that question. So, to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. 
NASA's decision to lend Kubrick this legendary lens was the culmination of a story that had begun 15 years before. In 1961, John F. Kennedy, in a famous speech, made landing on the moon his top priority. One month earlier, the Russian Yuri Gagarin had become the first man in space. The Soviets had won in Korea, Berlin and Cuba. All that was left was the moon, and they would do anything to get there first. The Americans wanted to restore their self-esteem. It had been dealt a serious blow by Gagarin. They decided that you can do this best by creating an objective, something that is very tough to reach, but if you reach it, then you have done the job right. And there was a lot of discussion inside and outside uh, the space community of what that should be. Um, and clearly the, the moon uh, was the winning idea. The task of putting a man on the moon was entrusted to the German scientist Werner von Braun. Recruited at the end of the Second World War, von Braun had worked for NASA ever since with complete impunity. During the war, he'd used prisoners from the Dora concentration camp to build his V-2 rockets. 20,000 slave workers died constructing his underground factories. But the Americans turned a blind eye to von Braun's Nazi past. I don't know if he was a real Nazi. He wasn't with the Nazis anymore. He was just an ex-German. I don't think anyone's ever linked him to Nazi war crimes or anything. Although the inhabitants of London, who were on the receiving end of more than a thousand V1s, might not agree. But war is war. The Soviets decided to meet Kennedy's challenge. They too needed a brain to mastermind their moon program. They found it in Sergei Korolev, at that time residing in one of Stalin's prison camps. Without compunction, he used gulag labor to build the Baikonur base. The moon race has always been represented as the more noble facet of the Cold War, but at that time they were still a long way from the sea of tranquility. Towards the end of 1966, the CIA intercepted a memo indicating that the Soviets were ready to put men on the moon. Nine cosmonauts had been training for several years. They'd even landed Luna 9 on the moon in January 1966. The secret services of the two superpowers began to wage a terrible war. The mastermind behind the Soviet program, Professor Korolev, died at the age of 58, following a simple operation to remove his tonsils. Korolev? No. The CIA is forbidden by American law to kill anyone. There are no exceptions. The law is absolute. Sabotage was not necessary. The technical problems were so great that, uh, that that's really what, what caused their problems. We never killed a Soviet, and the Soviets never killed an American. Neither one side nor the other wanted to start something whose final outcome they couldn't predict. In January 1967, the three astronauts of Apollo 1, Grissom, White, and Chaffee, were burnt to death during a training exercise. Three months later, the Soviet Vladimir Kumarov was killed returning from space when his parachute mysteriously failed to open. Gagarin, the space hero, was also killed while test piloting a plane. He should have been the first man on the moon. On July the 3rd, 1967, the Soviet rocket intended to fly to the moon exploded while its tanks were being filled, destroying the whole launch area. The Soviets' dream of putting a man on the moon to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the October Revolution had come to an abrupt end. All the Soviets could do now was sit back and watch the Americans triumph. For the White House, 
putting a man on the moon had become the priority of priorities. It wasn't the priority of priorities. The priority of priorities was national defense. The moon race was a completely different budget, NASA's. There was a very important philosophy The uh, Apollo program was not really designed to get men to the moon or to get samples of the moon rocks at all. It was the Cuban fiasco that was uh, probably uh, the, the biggest factor. The United States of America was absolutely terrified about the fact that the Russians would have these enormous, powerful rockets. It was all part of the missile thing. The propulsion behind a moon rocket and a missile was pretty much the same thing. There is no question that, that the, the military push was very strong. One would have to be exceptionally naive to believe that several billions of dollars were spent just to get a few pounds of lunar rock. The Apollo program was in fact the early stages of what was later to become Star Wars, the missile shield for defending the United States. But it would have been impossible to make Congress cough up so much money without the support of public opinion. When it came to a moon landing, everyone said yes, and without hesitation. That's why the administration paid all of this money. That's why the Congress allocated these funds, and that's why NASA has been giving this mandate, so this, this must happen. We must go to the moon before the Russians do. The Soviet Union did an absolutely superb job uh, of developing space from an industrial base that was much less advanced than the United States. And they joined in a race that they absolutely couldn't win. They had to use incredible percentages of their resources in order to sustain their work in space. And financially, it wiped them out. The USSR couldn't keep up. In the States, however, the number of people in aeronautic companies working for the space program had increased in seven years from 30,000 to almost 400,000. The huge cake represented by the space program was shared out according to classic Mafia family rules. Three states, California, Texas and Florida, monopolized everything. All the research centers, rocket plants, training bases and launch sites were set up along the California-Texas-Florida axis from Mission Control in Houston to the launch pads at Cape Canaveral via the factories in San Diego. A windfall of several billion dollars. And this was no coincidence. Lyndon Johnson had been the governor of Texas before becoming the American president. Nixon and Ronald Reagan both preceded their residency of the White House with spells as governor of California. And the Bush family, father and son, were buying up Texas and Florida for years before each took their turn in the Oval Office. As payback for this regal munificence, Boeing, Aircraft Industries and General Motors generously financed the governor's campaigns on their way to the White House. Unimaginable sums were swallowed up during this race to the moon, with the general approval of the public. The entire enormous machine was at the disposal of the politicians and financiers. The moon was simply a pretext. All that remained was to convince the general public that the conquest of space was a peaceful enterprise. It was Werner von Braun who first realized that the race to the moon must be entertaining, a show. After several meetings with Walt Disney, an idea took shape. Only Hollywood, the dream factory itself, could transform a dull rocket launch which no one took any notice of into a mega production.
and Stanley Kubrick was about to convince the last doubters. The famous director, working closely with NASA, had started to shoot 2001 A Space Odyssey. Filming was expected to take four years. The shock produced by the rushes when they were shown in the basement of the White House confirmed what NASA already knew, that a moon landing would drive the public wild. This film would prepare the public, already softened up by the Apollo program, to greet the first trip to the moon with unbridled enthusiasm. The film is clearly a tremendous PR exercise for NASA. The fact that there was an artist coming up with these totally new and fantastic ideas and visions, of course, stimulated the support for the whole project. They felt they were made more glamorous. Yeah. They became very aware how important the visual spectacle, spectacle is going to be. When I first went to see 2001, I was just, I was blown away. It was a great film. Wonderfully done. Super special effects and music and a great story by Arthur C. Clarke. There is no question at all that uh, the designers and engineers of the space program have been affected by 2001. 2001 A Space Odyssey was also a visionary film. Kubrick's real achievement was the fact that not a single scene was criticized by NASA engineers for lack of authenticity. The images of the spaceship Discovery on its way through the solar system were stupefying. It was absolutely fascinating. They looked nearly exactly the same. It had a pointed top, it went down like this, and it had the, the, the engine in the back. The influence of 2001 on the whole space program would be colossal. Kubrick's science fiction vision of the cosmos would speed up space exploration and give a shot in the arm to the race to the moon. Fascinated by the early rushes of the film, NASA technicians modified the astronauts' spacesuits, adding liberal touches of color. NASA was so impressed by, by the spacesuits that they did certain things that they hadn't done before. I couldn't tell you what they did, but I remember at the time Stanley was very flattered. Some of the ideas were similar, not because we were imitating what was done in 2001, but just because uh, looking for new ideas, people working at the same time came up with some of the same solutions. I remember he was very proud when uh, all sorts of people said how accurate it was. It affected our, our thinking and our processes and the final product. Stanley and Arthur talked about it and they felt like stars. On the eve of the moonshot, NASA turned to Hollywood, the realm of make-believe, and in particular to Jack Torrance, then a young producer at Paramount. He now lives in New York. The White House and uh, the Space Administration, NASA, quickly realized that the race to the moon was really a, a war of, of images uh, between the Russians and the United States, because our facilities were, were pretty rudimentary, and uh, the, the space center was, was really laughable. So they decided that the space race had to be turned into a, a pure Hollywood product, a show. So they came to see us with, with one goal. It had to be absolutely amazing. Hollywood could do it. We could create the dream. All of Hollywood stopped working on other projects just for this. I mean, it was never seen before. 700 technicians invaded Cape Canaveral. It was incredible. Like the construction of the pyramids, but bigger, better, more beautiful. And they, they made us a promise. They said, you do this right, 
and pretty soon, next the next election, one of your guys is going to be president. And there he was, Ronnie Reagan was, Reagan was president of the United States. And they gave us carte blanche. Okay, so we'll come back to that uh, doc- documentary, which some people, as I said, call mock. How can you call that a mockument? I mean, it's it's facts. You can't call facts fake. People do anyway because they don't want to believe what's right in front of their faces. So now we're going to go to this um, uh, interview. The last one, th- he died two days after this interview. That's, wow, mind-blowing to me. And he says, I don't know if I'll get to that part because both of these are over an hour, both of these interviews separately. So it's like two hours worth of stuff. But at the very end of the Stanley Kubrick interview, which I will put the link in the description box, he talks about the reason he's speaking now. And he wasn't a, the, the guy who recorded this was not able to release that video until 15 years after he died because Stanley was worried about his family getting murdered and everything. I think he knew he was about to get murdered. And he said the reason he's speaking up is because he's not going to get the final cut of Eyes Wide Shut and that was bothering him. And so he wanted, you know, basically this this video to be made. So let's listen to a little bit about that and then we'll close this out with some prayer. And again, you guys get to choose is this real or not another thing let's talk about is the phone call i'm not going to play the recording but how ridiculous to think you can call astronauts at the freaking moon when your cell phone doesn't even work in your own town or sometimes your own house after a while um what 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 do you mean the um what good i i've always been conflicted about it i guess but i wasn't conscious of it until later years later um you know at first i was just blown away by the uh uh the uh, the, the, the chance the uh, the opportunity the challenge of of making this this film and and, and i went into it like it was a regular film like a, 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 a another production of mine um not thinking too much about uh, the long-term effects that the, the, what it would mean uh, to to society if ever if it was ever discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are you talking about? <laughs> you know what you're talking about. You're referring to something. mistakes. 
person to get on the casting couch or you No, not, nothing that mundane. Okay. Um You mean like in order to get into Hollywood you, you made certain compromises or No, I was already in Hollywood. I was already established. Okay. Um but I had uh, I'd been contacted by certain individuals who were impressed by especially by my films in general, but particularly by Doctor Strangelove, which is also one of my favorites that I've done. Dare I say this? Okay. While I was making 2001 A Space Odyssey, I was contacted by people from NASA. It blew my mind. They they were interested in uh, in my uh, manufacturing. They they wanted my participation on a certain project. Okay. I thought at first maybe it was some kind of documentary, uh, but the, uh, I began to realize after a while they wanted me to perpetrate a fraud okay. on the American public. Okay, th this is like a long-standing urban legend kind of rumor. Are you referring to the... Yeah, it's an internet rumor. I don't know how much you get on the internet. You know, I know it's sort of a new thing, but it's out there. Are you talking about the the moon landings issue? Yes. Well, it was it was hard for me to uh, get it out, so I appreciate your help. Yes, it was. Uh, and look, it, it was the, it was the moon moon landing. And they they contacted you to to you're you're saying that the rumors are true that you actually were involved in in in, in why? What, what part of the rumors are true? I, uh, the fabrication of what? I mean, of what? A a a a a a fantasy, a a a fictional moon landing. It was not real. It was but, not real. The uh, the the moon landing in '69, which was two years before my birth, is total fiction. Total fiction. Yes. With my help, with my with my aid, and it, right. and it is. That, bothering me. Okay, back up, back up. Uh, wh wh all right. Why would they fake... Uh, why? Why? I'll just say that. <laughs> what are you talking about? Why would the government ever want or need to do... I'm completely unclear on what, what you're talking... I mean, I'm not that I don't believe you. I'm just saying, what do you... Why would the government need to do something like that? Well, you get your best answer from the government, or maybe your worst answer. But... Um, what they tell you? I mean, what was the, why? Why did they need you? Why don't they just use the astronauts? They didn't go. I, I'm completely under clearness, Mr. Kubrick. Why? Why fake something? I saw. I, mean, I didn't see. I wasn't there, but I saw the rocket take off. I'm not saying going to the moon is easy, but what? well, of course, it had a lot to do with ego and and uh, the Russians and what have you. Uh, and of course, Kennedy's promise that we would put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. Uh, but it's impossible. It is just physically, scientifically impossible to reach the moon from this planet. Uh, the Van Allen belt and, 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 and a number of the, of the reasons we, we could not possibly manage that. Uh, so when they approached you, Donald Rumsfeld and, and Kissinger and whomever it was, 
they told you that going to the moon was it wasn't a possibility. So why didn't they just tell the truth and say we can't go to the moon? I don't understand why they faked it. Right? Because my ego also got in the way. I couldn't help feeling not only that this was a great honor, a kind of warped honor, but still an honor. It was very flattering to be told that I was the only person who could do this. And I probably even agreed with them. Uh, it was just too challenging to pass up because I love a challenge. Okay, well, back up. You said about your ego, too. That explains why did the Why did America not just say it's impossible? If it's impossible, it's impossible. Well, why did they fa- I, I still don't understand the motivation. They, they wanted to fake it because why? A massive power trip. What can I tell you? I mean, they just, uh, they cold, needed cold this. Cold War, the money. Cold War, the money invested. Yeah, because of the Cold War, because of the, uh, uh, of the uh, uh, competition with the Russians. Uh, because so much money had already been invested in it, into it.
special lens, which they used to photograph the moon, for me to film Barry Lyndon. I think the images were exquisite. I'm very proud of that film. A beautiful film. Oh, yes. And, uh, but, 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 okay, I'm sorry. But, 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 and, and I love, and I love to speak about all your films at length, but I, I'm, I'm just, that's just, but, it's, what? but isn't it interesting, though, that no one ever used that lens again after Barry Lyndon? It stands alone. It, it hovers there in the middle of the 70s. Are you telling me this? I mean, I'm I'm a nobody, so I'm not I don't really understand that part. But more than that, why why are you telling anybody this? I mean, this is you're admitting complicity. I mean, I'm processing this now, but it's sort of a fraud. No offense, sir. I mean, it's. Well, I'm concerned about my upcoming film, Eyes Wide Shut. I don't think I'm going to have as much of a say in the final edit and the release of that film. I thought you had a final cut. What do you mean? You, well, I just have a sense that I, for some reason, I have a sense that it's not going that way with this one. Okay. This is a movie, it's, a, it's very symbolic, and people are going to say it's about sex, the sexual underworld, and things like that, but it's actually about secrets. I see. Okay, that, is that, that's, that's what Eyes Wide Shut means. So that's why Chubb refers to, like, the monkey, no monkey see, no, you know, like kind of ignorance of secrets. It's a terms. Sure. Uh, of, uh, obviously, yeah. Obviously, yes. Of people's eyes seeming to be open, but in reality. Or, or people not want, not wanting to know the truth. Exactly. So, so you're, are you contending that people don't want to know the truth about the world, reality, the moon landings? Are you saying it's? I don't want to believe in ideals, and that's understandable, up to a, a degree. People want to believe in ideals. People want to believe in ideals. But, and if but the, the government, knowing this, takes advantage of it by perpetrating fraud after fraud after fraud. Stanley Kubrick was born July 26, 1928, and he died just a few short days after that interview on March 7th, 1999. As I said at the beginning, many people say that's not Stanley, that's an actor. I've Googled the actor, they look nothing alike. I truly believe it's not that hard to to do your own research and, and just what's your heart tell you? Figure it out yourself. It all makes sense to me. So now I'm gonna end with a little a clip from this documentary. Again, they say it's fake, but it's really Donald Rumsfeld. It's really all these political leaders. I'll read their names because I know you guys can't see what I'm seeing. Um, but again, I found this kind of hard to find. You got to dig, but it's called Dark Side of the Moon. And it's about the fake moon landing from the government's mouth. But it's fake, guys. It's fake. It's not real. You don't don't believe what they're saying. They're just kidding, okay?
today, half blind following an unfortunate accident. He remembers Armstrong. They gave him the script the day before uh, in a sealed envelope. That famous phrase that he would say when he landed on the moon. He read the script in front of us. One small step for man, one great leap for mankind. He looked up and said, who wrote that crap? His jokes before liftoff. Just great. He asked us where the duty-free shop was, what the in-flight movie was, if he was in a smoking section, if he could have a window seat at the back, could he have a kosher meal? He had his car radio under one arm. He was scared someone would steal it from the NASA parking lot. On the moon, it was worse. The few words he exchanged with Aldrin while they collected the samples are incredible. After the three astronauts' triumphant return to Earth and their period of quarantine, carefully observed by President Richard Nixon, Buzz Aldrin, the second man to walk on the moon, sank into a depression for no apparent reason. He became an alcoholic, which was partly due to uh, his family history. It had thrown him into a deep depression. He came back drunk every night. So I think it may not be a good conclusion to assume that it was a lunar mission. Uh, he may have had those problems anyway. He didn't know what to do with himself. So I think it was like anyone in life. He found a period where he really didn't know what to do. Aldrin, like many people, have difficult times in their lives. And one never knows exactly why. I'm going <clears> to <throat> take a quick little break here to play you this little interview by Zoe. Um, where she asked it, Buzz, why we never went back to the moon. Why has nobody been to the moon in such a long time? <laughs> That's not uh, an eight-year-old's question. <laughs> That's my question. I want to know, but I think I know. Because we didn't go there, and... And that's the way it happened. And, and if it didn't happen, it's nice to know why it didn't happen. So in the future, if we want to keep doing something, we need to know why something stopped in the past that we wanted to keep it going. Uh, money. He says money right there. So the reason they did this all, and which they admit many times, is because of money. Again, I will put the links to all these below. I have shared these clips with people before, and they, even Snopes has an excuse. Well, he actually said, it's like, guys, we have to just wake up, right? I'm going to play you one more clip. This is from 517-2000 um, on the Conan O'Brien show, and 
listen to what he tells Conan about the moon. Buzz here. I can call you Buzz. Buzz. Okay. That's a, that's a legal name. Passport, okay. driver's license. And I am Uncle Coney tonight. Uh, <laughs> Uncle let's talk about this because this is fascinating. I remember very clearly, I think anybody who was alive at the time does. I remember my parents waking me up and we went down and we watched you guys land on the moon. No, which you was, didn't. No, you didn't. What? Because uh, uh, there wasn't any television. There wasn't anybody taking a picture. You watched animation. So you associated what you saw with... I have very hazy memories. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, well, no, but what we saw was we all, we all were gathered around you the old curve top radio and listened. talking about, uh, you know, how many feet we were going to the left and right, and then I said, contact light, engine stop. That's exciting. Few other things, and then Neil said, Houston, Tranquility Base, the Eagle has landed. That's just Man, how about that? that how about that, y'all? How about that? So I'm going to go back to this Dark Side documentary now and just finish. Um, this is actually Buzz talking in the documentary. Here we go. Happened that were a bit surprising and influenced my life. Before we went to the moon, President Nixon had, uh, had prepared some remarks uh, in the first speech to give if we could not leave the moon and come back. Nixon was prepared for the worst. On the eve of Apollo 11's launch, he'd secretly recorded a televised message announcing the death of the three astronauts. Yesterday, I laid a wreath at the cemetery, which commemorates the brave people. When you are faced with that readjustment, you change or you die. I think that was the reason he became very discouraged in life. So I decided to retire. Uh, not just from NASA, but from the Air Force. You could hear him wandering around in the streets, stumbling about, this is Buzz's sister. Did we, did, did people go to the moon or not? The rumors have been growing for years. If Nixon was cold-bloodedly prepared to send these three astronauts to their death, what credence can we give to those first steps on the moon which so entranced the whole of humanity? In Washington, Donald Rumsfeld, newly appointed Defense Secretary by President George Bush, celebrates his arrival in the Pentagon. With him are the ex-Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, Lawrence Eagleburger, General Alexander Haig, and the head of the CIA, Richard Helms. Thirty years previously, these five were President Nixon's main advisors. Are we through? Uh, all right. One more drink and then I'm ready. <laughs> there you go. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I'll pause it while they get drunk for them. Newly elected, Nixon was up to his neck in the Vietnam War. He needed a big stunt to reverse his negative image with the American public. President Nixon was on the telephone, speculating. He kept fiddling with the telephone cord. The Oval Office was in semi-darkness, and I found it very difficult to take notes of this meeting. We uh, had a meeting and talked, and... Uh, he had made a number of decisions This already, is Donald Rumsfeld speaking. Basically, to try to calm things down. The director of the CIA was looking panicked. This is a secretary. He always overestimated the power of the Soviets. The Russians will put a man on the moon. It's only a matter of months, maybe even days. I have very accurate information about that. We can't wait another year. We have to launch Apollo 11 as soon as we can. I was on the telephone constantly. This is Richard Helms, CIA director. Ways trying to promote more energy, more aggressiveness in this matter. I said to the president then, Lawrence I said... Lawrence 
Eagle Burger advisor to Nixon. You must do everything necessary to make, make sure that it doesn't. Now the president turned to his experts at NASA and said, are we ready? The director of the space agency only half reassured him. He said, we might not be able to send back films of the first steps on the moon. Well, President Nixon refused that idea. No way. The whole world is waiting to see an American take the first steps on the moon. He was very upset about it, and that he felt that something had gone wrong, and maybe he was responsible. The President of the United States was irate. In sequence of events, I remember as... Henry Kissinger, most, uh, Secretary of State. Tense. Then one of the presidential advisors, I don't know, General Alexander Haig or Donald Rumsfeld, said hesitantly, um, what if we film the first steps on the moon in a studio. Then if we fail, we can always show those pictures to the public. I talked to the president, and Kissinger supported it. At first, I didn't take it very seriously, and I was told not to take it very seriously. Then it kept going on and on and on. The president was prepared to do so, and I was prepared to support Alexander Held. That was decided basically by Henry Al Haig and the Secretary of Defense. But in the last analysis, the only person who could make the decision to do A, B, or C is the President of the United States under our system. And he would have to order it done. Nixon settled back in his chair and closed his eyes for a few minutes. And then he stood up and said, Gentlemen, you have less than two weeks to get everything prepared. That was big. That was a big idea. It was a, an important thing, and a lot of effort went into it. It was an anguishing decision for President Nixon to make. And I think he made the right decision. He was the president, and he deserves the credit for having had the courage to do it. He did that on his own. Sensible thing to do. Then he came over to me and picked up all my notes, ripped them up into little pieces, and threw them in the wastebasket. No stage in my life. Could I ever have anticipated that this would happen? And no states, not even when I was made national security advisor. And I think it is a great symptom of the strength of America that this was even conceivable. I thought it was the right thing to do because we have to do something to show that we're still the United States of America. We walked out to the public. And President Nixon said, uh, I've decided to do that, and I need you to do this job. We're going to do it. It was just amazing. So we were trying to figure out who, who would do what when. He simply has got to have the person he wants in that job. And it has to be someone who's capable of doing it. And it has to be somebody he knows well. I said, I'd like to talk to one person. And he said, who? Donald Rumsfeld was the first to propose Stanley Kubrick. The film would have to be perfect, but the set could never be built in time. The filming of 2001, A Space Odyssey, was drawing to a close in a suburb of London. Why not use the sets there? Rumsfeld was sure that Kubrick would not refuse. During the Kennedy administration, the White House had granted him special authorization to access strategic areas of the Pentagon during the preparations for the film Dr. Strangelove. Kubrick owed them. 
I told Mr. Nixon it's very dangerous to lie in the United States. You can't pull a con like that in a democracy. Too many people would talk. It would be absurd. But he said, almost sadly, go ahead anyway. Rumsfeld offered to go and negotiate personally with Stanley Kubrick. He and Henry Kissinger flew to England that same evening. Kubrick was surprised and amused by the idea, but began by refusing. Rumsfeld wouldn't give up. We're only asking you to do one thing. Just leave us the keys to the studio for one weekend, just so we can shoot a bit of film and take a few shots. Everything will be tidied up again by Monday morning. Kissinger flattered him, telling him that Dr. Strangelove was one of Nixon's favorite films. In the end, Kubrick agreed. The fake footage would be shot in England at the MGM studios near Boreham Wood with a skeleton crew. The two technicians and two actors would be CIA agents. To guarantee their trustworthiness, all had to be single men without family ties. They would sign a contract committing themselves to perpetual silence about the whole affair. Once the filming was over, they would have to disappear. But Stanley Kubrick was a perfectionist. Faced with the CIA crew's lack of professionalism, he ended up, against his better judgment, supervising the shooting of the fake moonwalk. But, he told them, from Monday morning, you're out of my life for good. My goodness, that is somebody. He is impressive, and he is a, a balanced, rational man, and he also has some courage to say that, what he'd said. And from there on, it played out exactly as he suggested. He had very great common sense. He was uh, a very uh, dedicated personality, and my relations with him were wonderful. Kissinger was the key person, yeah, that's right. And he was very much... Uh, challenged by this project. That did take a long time, but everybody was very interested that it could be done at all. I mean, we have never done this like this. True, yes, we haven't. So that's one reason to try. They tried and tried and it didn't look right. I remember the thing with the stars. They had huge sheets of paper and they were little pinholes. Everybody should realize what an achievement it was to do that. Kissinger was so nervous that he f packed his passport you know, in the big suitcase and, and things like that. He was very unlike himself. It finally worked, and Kissinger was very, very, very pleased with the result. It looked fantastic. Hippity hoppity, hippity hoppity, hippity hoppin' over here, Ambrose Chappell, ex-CIA agent, refused to take part in the mission. He retired from the service and later became a pastor in Baltimore. Thirty years later, I think it's time to bring an end to this story. Kubrick is no longer with us, and I think it's all right to tell, to reveal this secret. The men who participated in this project were all paid very well. They promised secrecy, and they promised to disappear forever. They were given new identities and new faces and new lives in some remote place in the world. But then Nixon and his advisors got scared, and they began to think that disappear forever should mean just that. In the White House, Nixon had been unable to sleep for months. He seemed distracted, unable to concentrate. What if one of the witnesses to the filming decides to talk? We can't take the risk, he kept repeating to his advisors. Nixon asked his national security advisor, Colonel George Kaplan, for advice. Let's send one of our best CIA guys and get rid of him. The president was determined to do something. 
And I said to him, look, you're going to do what you want to do, but I think it's too late. I think you should have done that a year ago. Uh, it, is, it is not a good thing to do. And I said, are you out of your mind? I said, this is going to turn into the biggest scandal that this country has ever seen. He was in bed. It was late at night. Whether he had been drinking or not, I don't know. Those of us who worked with Nixon knew not to take seriously everything he said when he was under stress. I don't know whether he was thinking about it or not, but he didn't do it. He said some awful things, but they were never done. They were never even attempted. And I said, Mr. President, let's sleep on this, because that's the job of a White House chief of staff. It is not something I want to do, and, and uh, so I left. The next morning I went in, and he said, you know, Al, you were right. Nixon decided to cancel the operation, and he told Kissinger and Alexander Haig. But the machine was about to go out of control. During the night, Colonel Kaplan sent one of his CIA deputies to the Oval Office to get the list of those to be eliminated. It was already too late. Hello. George, on that uh, thing we were discussing this morning, I wanted to be sure that you got off a, a telephone call, preferably a message if necessary. The first time we heard that there was a problem was on Tuesday morning. He said that the CIA should not be doing these covert action operations. And as a matter of fact, he signed the document that permitted him to do that. Nixon was highly intelligent, and he knew when his orders were or were not carried out. So I went into Nixon, I said, Mr. President, we've got a problem. Colonel George Kaplan, who had now gone insane, decided unilaterally to continue the operation. He changed the secret codes, cut off all contact with the White House and the CIA, and gave his men their orders before disappearing. No one could stop him now. I can't speak for any of the others, but I know where I was. From the very first, I thought this was going to happen. It was a total surprise to me. I assume it was a total surprise to Henry. When I became aware of it, I said, what do you think happened here? And he said, some damn fool went into the Oval Office and did what he was told. This had never happened before. And uh, I said, well, who are they? It wasn't the head of the CIA. It was head of the operational element of the CIA. Other people had to step forward and take responsibility, and they did. And of course, Nixon was uneasy about that. But I, I, it never crossed my mind that, that it would uh, fall apart so fast. I mean, they planned that all pretty pathetically. The operation was taken over by a secret subsection of the CIA. The members of the film crew had begun their careers in Hanoi. This was where they came to hole up. So, long story short, the CIA goes down there. They befriend the village. They basically destroy the village with drugs and sex and alcohol, things that, you know, they weren't used to. Um, so this village is, to this day, not the same because of them going down there. The operation failed. And then Nixon went all in. And we'll start there. Not a lot, but he was one of these people that one drink and... Just all the means at his disposal. 150,000 men and half the Sixth Fleet were sent in search of the four fugitives. Twice what was used during the Gulf War to try to capture Saddam Hussein. The CIA asked the Pentagon to show a little more discretion and use a method which had been tried and tested in Asia and Latin America, dressing up murders to look like accidents. And it was ending in a somewhat ignominious fashion. The sound man, Andy Rogers, was burned alive 
in a car crash. Jim Gow, the assistant director, was found drowned in a swimming pool in his backyard. Vince Brown was found in Patagonia, cut up in little pieces, but the police claimed it was a suicide. Vince Brown, the assistant director, was tracked down and killed in the Kerguelen Islands. The CIA's cynicism was such that they even filmed his murder. The set designer figured out what was happening and hid in a yeshiva in Brooklyn for 10 years until they caught up with him. Senator Donald Rumsfeld, the White House and the CIA had promised Stanley Kubrick he would never hear from them again. They kept their word. But five years after the fake footage had been shot, Kubrick was imprudent enough to contact the White House and then NASA to ask to borrow a special lens for the filming of Barry Lyndon. NASA agreed in exchange for services rendered, or perhaps it capitulated to the barely-veiled threat of revelations about Armstrong and Aldrin's first steps on the moon. Nixon had resigned following Watergate, but his successor, urged on by the CIA's new director, got the machine up and running again. After all, Stanley Kubrick was the last direct witness of the hoax still living. His telephone was bugged and his mail was intercepted. Kubrick decided to disappear. He made all his films on or near his property, whether the setting was Vietnam or New York. He locked himself away with his wife and children, and never went out again until his death. He was accused. Is there, obviously there was a relationship between that? Yes, that's right. Okay, so what happened? Um, and they were planning this, this fake moon landing. They wanted But a, why did they have to fake it? Why? Because it is impossible to get to the moon. If you ask any scientist, okay. we couldn't do it. Okay. There's the Van Allen belt, which is, it's impossible to get past. Okay. Uh, if you think of, how, of our space program and how many trips we have made since the alleged moon landing. Right. It, they, they stopped in 1972. What, what sense does that even make? That if, if we went there, what, three or four times? between 69 and 72 mm -hmm. and haven't gone since nor has anyone else not even the Russians it just it's a little bit of a stretch of the imagination to think that we we did you know why would we not go or, or no other country to, because it's impossible to go uh, we the, the furthest anyone has ever been off this planet is about 400 miles wow. the moon is what several hundred it's a quarter, a quarter million yes miles away. It's just not possible. It wasn't possible in 1969, and it's not possible now. So you say we, you say we can't go to the moon. Oh, I mean, what are the reasons? Are there some, like, facts? You want reasons? I'll give you reasons. You How much time do you have? Okay. Oh, I had actually uh, talked a little bit to LBJ before, but it was mainly Nixon. Uh, he had just become president. At the, uh, he was elected in the late 68, uh -huh. 69, he took office. And, uh, you know, it, it's no secret that NASA always wanted to fulfill this Kennedy prophecy that we would get to the moon by the end of the decade. Well, time was running out. It was 1969. And... Uh, so, so you met Nixon? You went to the yeah, White House? I met Pat, actually, first. I think she was on painkillers or something. 
Um, but, uh, it, you know, she never, never say, said much, so, you know, it was, it was nothing worth repeating. But, uh, yeah, when I met with Nixon, boy, that was, a, that was an experience. They just, uh, just shuttled you in privately because obviously they couldn't have you. No one could know you were meeting with him. Yeah, he, he had his shoes off, which you know, and he could smell his feet. So it's just really kind of amazing. You know, it, it was not anything I could have predicted. So it was a casual encounter. Okay, it was in the Oval Office. Yeah, in the Oval Office. Yes. And um, but it's funny. It's an Oval Office because the walls seem to be closing in anyway. But <laughs> anyway, uh, there we were. And he, he, he was, you know, like he was, uh, expressing how desperate he was to, to I mean, go to the moon. What he said. Literally go to I mean, the moon. What he say? But, but to, to, to have people think we were going to the moon, well, he was worried about, uh, well, his own perception because he just became president, and his, uh, his. Uh, so what? What did he say? He, 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 he said that um, he, he, you know, looked at his drink kind of like this and said. Um, we're, we have to fake this. We have to fake this this moon landing, just to keep interest in NASA. And in the time, and, and in the next few years, we might actually be able to go for real. Man, I'm sorry to inform y'all, but we've been living in a world of Californication. It's all fake. It's all made up. We're in the Truman Show, and it's time to wake up to the real history, the real truth, and I can't wait. We are living in some really incredible times, y'all. But again, it's up to you. Did we go to the moon? Did we not? No matter what, let's quit making fun of each other because we're all trying to figure it out. I am so sick of people making fun of Flat Earth. It's It sounds almost stupid at this point. It's like... <laughs> You can't. You guys just can't. There's no proof we spin around. There's none. And if you do science yourself, you can take a bowl of water, put it, do it, guys, get a globe. Get a, get your globe that you probably have sitting around at your house, your fake world that, that NASA's programmed you with. Put some water on it, spin it around as fast as you can, and see if it stays on the globe or not. I mean, this is how you do science. We need to re-educate ourselves because the educated aren't educated. I learned that in 2020. And... I'm still learning it now because some of these educated quote-unquote people are teaching schools to our children, wearing masks, telling our children that the sex they are, it's not scientific. You can be a cat. I mean, this is where we're at. So we'll end with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for not being the author of confusion and for clarifying the truth. Lord, I just pray, and I know because you said in your word that all truth will be revealed. And I just pray, Lord, that you start to let the scales fall off all of our eyes, including my own, on the things that we don't see yet that we need to see. Uh, lift us all up in, in the place we need to be right now in this moment. Let us quit beating ourselves up and being our worst bullies. And let us just be filled with your love, your grace, your Holy Spirit let us all know that Jesus saves and he can save each and every single one of the people that are listening right now if they just call on his name and say, you know what? I believe you died on that cross for me. I believe you did all those things in history so I don't have to live with my sins and I can go straight to God the Father and say, please forgive me and live a good life, a new life, a, a life worth 
living. Lord, I just pray that you just fill these people up with light that are full of darkness right now. I pray that each and every single child that you want into your kingdom, which I believe is everybody, receives your word, your voice, your life, your light. In Jesus' holy name, I thank you for this podcast. May your blessings come upon it. And may may your word be the most important thing anyone hears. Amen. And you guys, with that, don't fear. We're in a time where crazy stuff's about to happen. Fear is a liar. It's not of God. And, you know, I understand there's many things to fear, but God has the biggest bank account. Just go to him. Count on him for everything. He heals all the sick. He loves you. Don't give up. And we didn't go to the moon.